Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I am your host, Mark Kaler. And today we have the Operations Manager for the Tender Fleet of Trident Seafoods with us. All, additionally, the Assistant Fleet Manager in Bristol Bay for that said, said company, uh, Blake Benson. Blake, how are you today? Mark, it's a pleasure to be here on the back deck of the Gale. I've been here a few times and uh, glad to make it another one. You've, you've probably been here more than anybody else that's been on this show, actually. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's uh, correct. You oh, and I uh, Over the years. Yeah, we've had a lot of great times here hanging out and, uh, and, and telling stories. So Always with a beer in hand. And oh, we both no, share a passion for bush light. Not, not, <laughs> not unlike today. Not unlike today. Absolutely. Uh, so I've already warmed him up with one and a half beers here, guys, so we should get something good out of him. So, Blake, you uh, obviously you've been... You're one of our most avid listeners anyway. You're 31, you're 30 episodes into it. Yeah. So you know our format. So let's just get started with uh, where were you born and what brought you to the industry. So I was born uh, in Broadview, Washington, which is just north of uh, our home down here in Ballard. And uh, <clears throat> I grew up in a family, um, my parents were both in the ski business actually, ski and bikes. So my dad uh, was uh, partners or managed various ski shops throughout the Pacific Northwest my mom was involved in uh, the ski and bike business for a long time. So that was kind of our thing growing up. I actually didn't grow up in the fishing business, um, but I did grow up Norwegian. So that definitely helped when I got into the fishing business because mm -hmm. it got me a little more street cred. Right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, skiing and biking was always our thing. Um, you know, childhood progressed. Uh, started doing construction at a real young age at 13. Did that. Uh, then I ended up at Washington State University, uh, did four years there, uh, had the time of my life, go Cougs for all you Husky fans listening. Uh -huh. <laughs> and what, what was your degree in? Uh, my degree was actually in organizational communications, uh, which is essentially consulting. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, took some business classes as well. So it was like 2008 or 2009, I think it was... 2009 um, I uh, you know the recession was going on and uh, you know I was trying to you know pay for school I was you know working different kinds of jobs and stuff like that over at the university you know and uh, it kind of got to a point where I was out of money and the recessions going on at that point in life dad was a general contractor uh, so his business was flat with the recession there wasn't any construction going on so I was pretty much out of options financially. And, uh, you know, I had a, a good friend of mine uh, that was one of my roommates. And he had, you know, he, his father worked in the fishing business. And he had kind of taken care of some of the guys over the years as far as getting them jobs, whether it was gill netting or working as a processor in Alaska. So I, you know, kind of pulled my friend aside one afternoon and I said, Dad, Hey, bud, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm going to make it back next semester unless I figure something out this summer. Uh, you know, I'm just out of money and I can't afford to, to, to go to school. So unless I can figure something out, uh, you know, I, I, I won't be back. At that point, I kind of started the conversation. But I heard your dad has taken care of some of our friends in the summer as far as, you know, helping them into jobs in Alaska. And, and you know, I was wondering if that's something that could possibly be an option for me. And uh, he said, yeah, absolutely, no problem, talk to my dad. So as all my friends were uh, partying in Cabo for spring break, I was sitting at home broke, uh, 
which actually worked out great because I uh, went and interviewed with a guy by the name of Todd LeMay, and uh, who was my friend's dad, uh, for a job up in Alaska. And uh, so Tyson's the guy you went. To. Tyson. Yep. Okay. So Tyson and I uh, went to college together, and so I get a call back from Todd the next week, and he says, "Hey, uh, I've got a pretty cool opportunity for you working." Uh, managing the office in Dillingham during the Bristol Bay Sockeye season. And before he really even explained the job, I pretty much told him I'd take it. <laughs> I mean, I was that desperate to, to, to make some tell. And uh, so after he kind of explained to me, it was cool. I was doing uh, a lot of fisherman relations and ordering a lot of parts and, you know, a lot of accounting work and stuff like that. So even though I was totally scared, I just knew that I was going to figure out a way to make it work. So fast forward and a couple months go by and I show up in Dillingham, Alaska. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm in charge of manager's office and the only time I had ever been to Alaska is doing a lot of sport fishing up there. So this is like a whole new experience for me and I'm like this 19-year-old kid who's just going, what have I got myself into? Well, uh, anyways, kind of fast forward from there, three summers later, um, I told Todd, uh, hey, you know, look, I... Just graduated and I, you know, college. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's been fantastic, and uh, you know, but I won't be coming back next year. And he says, "Oh, I kind of figured that. You know, I understand. Thanks. You did a great job. You know, I said this is such an incredible experience." So, I uh, already had a job lined up after I got home that summer, uh, working uh, for this guy that I'd been working for off and on for years. I want to pause you real quick. So you worked there for the three summers, every summer. Yep. You kept going back up. Yep. And you, you, you say, oh, it was a great experience. <laughs> what, what, what was so great about the experience of being in... You know, Alaska is just such an incredible, wild place. And, and the cool thing about Dillingham, Alaska is, you know, you're in Bristol Bay, you know, which is kind of more flat tundra and, you know, it's kind of a, uh, a silty area and, you know, people always rant and rave about Southeast, but... The cool thing is if you've had the, ever had the chance to really go explore in Bristol Bay, especially in Dillingham, you're so close to Lake Lignigic, uh, up through that whole lake system. So I had a lot of uh, chances to go play up through there, which was cool because it was a pretty awesome wilderness experience. Uh, on top of that, I you know, made all of these cool friends who I still keep in touch with today and, and get together with all the time and, and travel and, and, and ski with. And then on top of that, you know, I got all these, like, really cool, unique skills that I learned, like, through the job um, that were things that my friends weren't getting just from normal internships, you know, in the real world. I mean, you know, not only did uh, yeah, I improve on my work ethic, but, you know, I was dealing with all kinds of real money and, and real numbers and, and all kinds of just different adverse situations, you know, in Alaska, if you don't have work ethic, you don't have a job. No, no. I mean, you're you're, you're basically on a plane home the next week, essentially. Um, and and a lot of people, unfortunately, figure that out real quick that they're just not cut out for it. So I was dealing with all these crazy situations, you know, and it, it was wild because I'd, I'd call home every once in a while, and you know, my mom would be like, "Tell me a story," and you know, I'd start telling her these stories, you know, of all all these people that I was interacting with, and. And just the odd situations that they found themselves in, and some of them were, were sad, and some of them were really cool because I helped somebody out, and some of them were, you know, really frustrating. And, and she's just sitting there like, 
what world are you living in these days, right? kiddo? Well, it's different up there. It's so yeah. different. You know, it's it's kind of the it's it is the last frontier up there and kind of the wild west. Uh, so I ended up just falling in love with it, and and w- when I did my last summer up in Dillingham, uh, I was really sad to leave. I mean, I, I I had the bug, I really had the bug. So I went to work for this family friend after I graduated college, doing construction. I got about two and a half months into it, and I was just going, I got to get back up to Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> I got this incredible itch right now. And uh, finally I decided that, you know, the particular um, job I was working at, just it just wasn't for me. So I called up, uh, called up, you know, Todd, who's been a you know, long-time mentor of mine, and I said, hey, I got to get back up to Alaska. You know, is there any way you can kind of start sniffing around and seeing if there's some opportunities, you know, at Trident? I'm, I'm really interested in the fishing business. And, um, boy, it only took Todd a couple of days, and he called me back and said they're, you know, hiring uh, for an assistant for Matt Chester. And uh, I said, okay. And he said, you know, let me, let me talk to some folks, and we'll see if we can get you an interview. And so, anyways, I got an interview, and... About a month later, they called me up and said, uh, we'd love to bring you on board. And it's been just a fast and furious wild ride ever since. Um, uh, you know, I mean, anybody that's ever been in this business knows it's just a constant emotional roller coaster. And uh, at the Ups end of the downs. day. Every day. You can every go, single you day. You can cycle through that three times in a day. You, you never know. I mean, you, you never know. And I think that's what keeps a lot of us hooked because it... You know, sometimes you're sitting there and, and things couldn't be better and the sun is shining and you're you're in this gorgeous place. And then, you know, that's at 9 o'clock in the morning and, and, and by noon you're exhausted, you're burned out and you just about want to bury your hands in your face and start crying. But but you're not going to because you don't want any of your friends to see you. Right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, uh, it just kind of all drew me in and uh, it's, it's created a fantastic lifestyle for me. Um, I'm, it's just so fascinating, so interesting. Everything changes constantly, so it just constantly keep your, keeps you on your toes. And me just being such an adrenaline junkie and one of those people that just starves and thrives for more, uh, it's, it's been an excellent fit in my life. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And you spent some time out on the boats in Bristol Bay, the tendering. and Yeah, yeah. I, uh, these days I'm spending about three weeks a year out on boats. Um, I work uh, road teching and buying herring uh, out in Togiak. We have never had someone on here explain that to us. Why don't you give us the process? Well, first of all, tell us about the, the herring fishery. Yeah. And then and then uh, your road teching. So for a long time, herring was a huge deal. It was a giant circuit throughout Alaska. <laughs> they'd start, you know, down in southeast, and uh, actually they'd kind of start down in San Francisco and then start working their way all up through southeast and Prince William Sound and... And then, you know, they'd go over to Togiak, and then they'd start going up north through Norton Sound and, and Unicleet. Well, today, uh, you know, herring, kind of the, the major herring fisheries are in two places. You've got Sitka, and you've got Bristol Bay Togiak. So, uh, most herring these days is caught with uh, a seine, seine net. So, there's basically two kinds of saners up in Bristol Bay. There's gill saners, which are 32-foot gillnet boats that they convert over to these little mini saners, 
uh, for for the Bristol Bay fishery, or they've got your larger like 52, 58, you know, limit style saners uh, that go up there and participate. So it's all sane fish, and uh, a lot of the fish is caught with spotter pilots, but they uh, they meter and sonar a lot of the fish too as well. Uh, it used to be just a huge deal, you know, hundreds of boats up there, planes all over in the sky. Uh, Sitka's still kind of a wild show these days. Planes are reporting down to the, yeah, to so, the boat that hired them. So what they do is <clears throat> they've got these spotter pilots up in the air, and the spotter pilots can essentially see the schools from the air. And then they've got an aircraft radio on board the Saner that, you know, they take directions through, and so they guide them to the school. And there's all kinds of, you know, strategy and, and, and things Top these folks do. Top secret and on this channel. Oh, or... yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's super secretive, you know, people are, you know, trying to keep all information where the fish are secret. I mean, guys are turning off their AISs. It's, yeah, it's it's a pretty cool deal to be a part of, really. Uh, so they purse in the herring, and then what they do is they, they pull a, a tender up alongside, you know, once you've with actually the secured still in the, the water and, and pursed up with the fish still in the water. The tender uh, drops a, uh, a large uh, Marco 10-inch uh, pump into the actual herring seine itself and uh and just, just pumps like the a, fish right like out a, it's like a 10 inch garden hose that goes down in there with a metal end on it aluminum end on it yep and just it's almost siphoning it right out of the absolutely and you know when you when you wrap a big school it's just like absolute chaos you know everybody's well you know the guys on the back deck are trying to get as many corks you know back on deck as possible and you know trying to get the purse line up and and then you know a lot of times these schools can be 300 tons you know, so the fish are plowing in. Six hundred thousand pounds of fish in one net. Oh yeah, there's there's been some some pretty huge sets. I think in Sitka there's been some some thousand ton sets before. Uh, so you know, cork management and everything's huge, and, and so sometimes some of the partner boats will bring their Saint skiffs over and, and try to help out because most of it's co-op. Explain these days. cork management. Uh, cork management is basically when the fish start plowing into uh, into the web on the Seine, and and they start pulling down like on the, the seine and the corks, and the rest of the school starts plowing over the top of the corks. Because the corks have went under. Yep, yep. So, you know, it's it's just whether you're throwing seal bombs into the net, you know, trying to spook the fish, or guys will take their skiff and cut their seine skiff they, loose, and these big tractor jet skiffs are, like, flying around doing donuts and circles. These days, and, are they still tossing seal bombs? Uh, yeah, if you can get your hands on them. Yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah, pretty they're, tough to get your hands you on. You actually got to register to buy them now. You yeah. to, your boat has to be registered to buy them. Yeah, speaking of a funny story, I had a buddy of mine, <laughs> we were up in Alaska, we were, I think, like 20 or something like that, and we were sitting around having a, uh, a couple Pepsis on the 4th of July. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, we're, Pepsi, hey, is we're, the, Pepsi is the brand of Alaska. We were only 20, Mark, so <laughs> <laughs> never incriminate yourself. Right, yeah, yeah, Pepsi, Pepsi. <laughs> Yeah, that's a plug, by the way. So they're <laughs> going to sponsor this and get a bunch of money at the Fisherman's Memorial for right. that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we were up there having a couple Pepsis, and uh, he didn't realize like how powerful a seal bomb was, so he lit it and tried to put it in my back pocket. And he must have been sugar high off all those Pepsis. And I actually heard him coming from right up behind me and turned around right as he's getting ready to slide down. <clears throat> Slide that seal bomb in my back pocket. You would have had no ass. Uh, it would have debutted me. <laughs> it would have debutted me. So it's De- debutted Benson. Yeah, there, there you go. We're we're gonna make up our own words. <laughs> wow. So uh, yeah, back to herring though. Well, uh, wait, wait. On the seal bomb thing. 
In Chignik, though, we'd get them by the case. This is before they were restricted, right? Yeah. We'd literally have them, you could go pick them up in the stock room. Yeah. Right? And and uh, our big thing was trying to, you, you, at most plants, there's big aluminum totes where mm-hmm. they store trash and stuff. Yeah. Well, the day they empty those, those are always good days because you wait till you see someone's getting ready to walk by one and you throw a seal bomb into it. There's nothing louder than a seal bomb going off in an aluminum tote. <laughs> I've got a lot of stories I can't tell about seal bombs. <laughs> okay, back to Those Eric. things that I had a special relationship for a long time. Oh, I, I, I think I went through a case in two days once, so. Oh, yeah. So back to herring, uh, you know, it, it's a pretty neat thing to watch. The the fishery's actually getting more and more competitive. <clears throat> Again, uh, you know, there's a uh, a lot of companies are starting to bring bigger boats in as far as uh, the the saners themselves. So, how's uh, the pricing doing on it now? I mean, I know it's been low, uh, because it used to be a lot. Yeah, no, I mean they the herring used to be incredibly valuable. Um, you know, it's still a valuable fish, but it's it's not like what it was, you know, right. 20 years ago or something like that. Well, everything comes in cycles, right? Yeah. So, speaking of cycles, you know, my seasons are all kind of secular too, so the next cycle of my spring is I transfer over to Bristol Bay and, uh, you know, work for Trident uh, as the assistant fleet manager for salmon. And uh, you want to talk about a cowboy fishery. Holy smokes. I mean, the bay is something else. It's an absolute all-out grind, uh, and you've got all kinds of different fishermen and cowboys. Some of them are fishermen, you know, for five weeks a year, just in the bay, and then some of them, you know, do it year-round. And I've just absolutely loved being a part of Bristol Bay uh, over the past few years. It's, uh, It's just a tremendous place. We've got a tremendous resource. And uh, things look great for the bay going forward, which is so awesome, too. You know, <clears throat> there are certain fisheries in Alaska that are, you know, kind of struggling throughout their cycles. And Chicknick every year. Chicknick. You know, I feel horrible the, for those The prettiest guys. fish in Alaska, oh. in my opinion. Yeah. Well, as Matt and I always say, beautiful Chicknick bluebacks. <laughs> they're, they're, they're incredible fish. Yeah. And, and they got 126 sockeye this year. Oh. But that just, all that speaks is volumes of our management, though, because... They didn't allow the guys to fish because there wasn't enough through the weir. Well, absolutely. I and mean, then it turned out to be five hundred twenty thousand fish through the weir, which is which is ample for for resupply. We can't think about our resource in years. We can't think about it in decades. We have to think about it in generations. Because I sure plan on having my kids someday participate in these fisheries. Well, you've had enough girlfriends that you should be able to work that out. <laughs> Next. <laughs> okay, so la- last year in the Bay, was, wasn't it kind of a record year last year, and this year was even... <clears throat> we had an unbelievably phenomenal year, again, in Bristol Bay. Um, I mean, things are just going so well, and that speaks a lot to our management. Uh, and it's, it's just great to see everybody go up there and, and, and do well for the most part. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Bristol Bay fisheries come a long way. Um, you know, with many of the markets going over to, you know, all chilled fleet, uh, including trade and seafoods. Uh, so, yeah, it's been awesome <clears throat> for our product because we're build- basically building quality on our product. And once you start to build quality, you start to build a brand name. And We're not selling fish on here. 
Come on, come on, Mark. Let me get my pitch here. <laughs> Eat more wild Alaskan seafood and sockeye. Any, any seafood. Any, any seafood. Yeah, yeah, any wild, wild seafood. Wild Alaska first, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we strongly encourage uh, wild. Never never farm. Yep. So I've been witnessing a pretty interesting transformation with a lot of the fleet. Uh, does a lot of investments uh, into into their boats uh, in in order to make them uh, higher quality producing vessels. So it's been neat to see, and uh, I think it's paying off for getting that new for, refrigeration system, keeping yep, the fish colder. And yep, I think it's paying off for all the stakeholders involved in that fishery. So it, so this year Bristol Bay. Last year, it was a normal Bristol Bay season with a lot of fish. Mm -hmm. Every river got a good return. Yep. This year, it was pretty centralized. The year of the Nushigak. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of odd, right? But then, wasn't there like a thousand boats fishing this one? Yeah, there was like seven or eight hundred boats at one point fishing one one of the major rivers. Leave it to the host to exaggerate the number, guys. <laughs> it, it, was, it was absolutely crazy. Uh, you know, anybody that was over the Nushigak... Uh, could tell the story better than I was. I was over at Naknek, but it was just, it it was absolutely wild how much fish we were hauling out of there. And, uh, you know, our management team did, a, did an excellent job over there as far as handling it, and it seemed like all the other markets did a really good job as far as handling the volume of fish. So it was really, really, really cool to see, you know, everybody succeed. And it was just, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, it really spoke volumes about how well, you know, our our overall run is doing with you know throughout bristol bay now some of the other river systems kind of had you know down years to speak of but boy that that mighty newish wood river it's uh it's it's something else todd lenay would say yo yo <laughs> <laughs> the big river we were up in the news the mighty river the, the mighty noosh yeah well the other rivers again it's all about sustainability they, they weren't being able to fish because fish and game said not enough through the week yep Yep, and and that's how they that's how this works, guys. If uh, they literally have the wall down with a few holes in it with cameras, and they count those fish going through. Now, not every minute of the fish, but they'll take a five-minute average per hour, and th those fish have to make a, a number before they allow the guys to go out and fish. Yeah, so in Bristol Bay, we use tower counters and sonar counters, and so essentially we have to meet uh, a certain minimum escapement number excuse me, of fish in every single river system. And then the fisheries are managed with openings based on how they are tracking on that curve of their actual escapement goal. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it, it's you know, really cool in the way they manage it. You know, it's, it's, it's a science-first approach, which is uh, super awesome. And uh, no, I, I think our biologists do a really, really, really stellar job. So... That's uh, that's why we can continue to succeed. Now, obviously, you know everything's somewhat secular um, uh, in, in fisheries. And, ebb and flow. You ebb know, and it's, flow. it's all just like the currents. There you go, ebb and flow, just like the the currents and the tides, especially in Bristol Bay. Oh, boy, you want to talk about some tides? Well, and, uh, some of these guys can actually. Uh, you guys could Google what Jan's boat this year. Oh uh, yeah, the fishing vessel Christie. Yeah, yeah. The fishing vessel Christie. If you Google that, you'll see the video of her. Uh, she lost her engine. Yeah. And was pushed back in between a Japanese tramper and a processing boat. Yeah. And you can literally Ooh. see what the tide does because they weren't under power. None of the three boats involved were under power. No. Two, two on anchor. No, the, the tramper Christie. and the uh, the processor were, not, were, were on, on anchor. anchor. <clears throat> and the, uh, the Christie actually uh, drifted back. Drifted back into the Yakamoto. In between uh, the, the big tramper, which is a, a freighter. 
mm-hmm. and in a big floating processor ship, and then uh, got wedged uh, in between the uh, the Yokies. And I saw that video, and I just thought I'd be off that boat. Oh, it was. It's it's giving me goosebumps right now just thinking about it. I mean, the, the sheer amount of tear, and and how lucky those folks were. Uh, well, Jan was still trying to fix his engine. Yeah, yeah. he was trying to save that he, he boat. He was running around grabbing his wallet or whatever he was doing, and uh, you know, <laughs> funny story about Jan actually, is Jan was one of the first guys I ever met when I went to Dillingham. The first night when I was 19 years old and I showed up in Dillingham, I uh, I, I ended up meeting up with Jan and another guy named Carl Pedersen. So Jan and I go way back, and uh, I'm just really happy for Jan and his family that uh, that they were able to make it off safe. You know, it's really tragic <clears throat> about what happened to their boat. Once he jumped off that boat, it went. Yeah. I mean, it, There's no dollar amount that, <clears throat> you know, you can put on a human life. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm just really glad they're safe. Yeah. And, uh, the, the boat can be replaced. So you've been up there 10 years now. Yeah. This yeah, 10 seasons in Bristol Bay. Yep. So uh, any scary experiences for you? I know you're out there running around skiffs and yeah, those heavy waters and um, Togiak. I mean, <laughs> I've had some some land-based scary experiences, but that's just being stupid and naive running around out in the bush. Uh, but water-based experiences, I uh, it was my first season up there, Rotec and uh, Herring in Bristol Bay, and I was running around in a, a 24-foot Quijack skiff, big heavy-duty aluminum skiff that could take some serious weather. Quijacks are good boats. They're great boats, made right here in Ballard, Washington. So I, uh, I had this gal with me that was kind of teaching me how to cut fish, and uh, it was a really crummy day. We were over off a of Hagemeister, and uh, we were rolling around real good, real good. And you know, I think due to lack of experience, I, uh, <clears throat> I didn't kind of know when to say stop. You know, I was just like, we're going for this. You know, we're a bunch of badasses right here. You were driving? I was driving. And uh, <clears throat> so there's this saner that's in a set over off Hagemeister. And we're coming in, and uh, I'm like, Casey, let's go in for this. And she kind of just looks back at me and <laughs> goes, okay. You know, and so she hops up on the bow and grabs this big dip net, which is what she used to throw in the seine to grab a sample of fish before we sample it and cut it. And uh, so Casey, uh, she's up on the bow and I'm like steering and I'm trying to hold the boat into the swell and just jog on it right up next to the cork so we don't get caught up inside this this seine. And all of a sudden I see this huge green thing just coming out of the corner of my eye. And I just screamed to her. I said, Casey, hold on. And... uh, and she grabs onto this pole that was up there off this little platform on the bow of the skiff. And all of a sudden, this huge, just green wave comes and just clobbers right over the front of the bow, spins us 90 degrees sideways into the ditch of the waves, and just about wiped her off the front of the bow. And uh, <clears throat> I was absolutely terrified. I was thinking, Oh my gosh, I just washed this gal off the front of the boat. Uh, and if you go off the boat in Bristol Bay, you're. you're, you're yeah, well, the dead. tide's smoking you know. and the wind's terrible and, and the waves are, are crummy. And, you know, then I'm it's just me in this boat, you know, trying to recover over the side. And, you know, mind you, we're up there in, you know, April and May. 
So the weather's like, or the, the, the water's like 39 to 42 degrees. I mean, it is chilly when these herrings start spawning. So you don't have a whole lot of time. Anyways, we get spun sideways and, uh, you know, finally I look up and she's still hanging on. She's this tiny little gal. I mean, really tiny, like, you know, 5'3", something like that. And uh, I kind of get the boat straightened out and kind of peel away from this set. <clears throat> and she kind of walks back and I just, like, grab her and I'm like, are you okay? And she's just, yeah, I'm okay. And she just starts breaking down and, and, and crying and and I kind of grab her and I hang on to her and I you know I kind of start tearing up myself you know it's a pretty emotional moment she's actually pretty lucky this thing didn't just cream her off the front of this boat and to put it in perspective you were the captain of that boat at that moment I was I was driving the boat I mean everything that was going on was you know it was my call to still be out there you know it was I was navigating the boat I mean everything was my responsibility her 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 safety was my responsibility and uh, <clears throat> I remember after I kind of grabbed her and, you know, we kind of got her warmed up a little bit because she got pretty wet and waterlogged, I, I drove over to this saner and I said, you think you got anything in the bag? And they said, oh, you know, we might have 30 tons. And I said, I'm done. I said, I'm done. And so they said, okay. And they cut the net loose. And, and one of the deckhands, it was this uh, older gentleman from Kodiak, he kind of walked over to the side and he kind of looked at me and he gave me this little pep talk real quick. And he just said, hey, there's no fish in this sea that is more valuable than a human life. Sometimes you just got to say, we can't do it. And that always kind of resonated and stuck with me. And you were 19. I wasn't 19 at that point. I think that year I was like 20, 22 or something like that. And uh, it, it's just always stuck with me. I mean, you know, these days I'm managing boats now. And, um, you know, every time I, I send one of these boats away from the dock, you know, yeah, I always think about it like this. You know, would I put my family member on that vessel? Do I feel comfortable putting one of my own flesh and blood on that vessel, you know, and sending them out to sea? I mean, you know, I take a great responsibility in making sure that I do everything in my power to make sure that, you know, these boats are in tip-top seaworthy shape and, and and that these crews have the best chance against you know mother nature and just all the other factors that we constantly deal with did she have a vest on she did have a vest on and uh that's one thing i've always been huge on is life jackets i mean you know you read all the articles in pacific fisherman and and all these coast guard news bulletins and everything like that if if you don't wear a life jacket well, i just there's no reason there's not no to. reason not to right. i mean there's not <laughs> Nothing about not, you know, wearing a life jacket, it's just, yeah, just do it. <laughs> just do it. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, I've had some, some pretty close calls, too. I had one time where I thought he, I thought I blew my knee out, falling between some ladders, jumping between some boats. That I, was last year? Or was uh, year well, that particular one was a couple years ago. This last year, I smashed my foot pretty bad uh, up on the herring ground, spent some time in a walking boot. Taught myself a lesson on Stayed that. Stayed up there and worked the whole time, though. Uh, yeah. Well, I didn't really have a choice. I was told I was going back to the beach on that one, yeah. and I stayed up there until we finished the fishery, and then uh, went home and took care of a few things in Seattle. Uh, I went overboard one time up in Togiak. Uh, that was pretty scary because uh, how'd that work out? Uh, I ended up making it back aboard. Uh, no, how'd you go over? Oh, 
You weren't peeing, were you? No, no. The time I went overboard was uh, I was uh, managing the gillnet herring fleet in Togiak uh, back when we were buying gillnet fish. And uh, hadn't slept in a while, you know, kind of one of those stupid, tired decisions. I'd been sitting up in a wheelhouse on the radios, uh, taking radio calls and, you know, scheduling tenders, whatever, bringing fishermen in. And um, <laughs> I had a pair of uh, sweatpants on, sweatshirt, and a pair of Nike slide flip-flops on. I'm not hearing a life vest. <laughs> no life vest. <laughs> Here's another plug for why you should always wear a life vest. You should always, yeah. So <clears throat> there was two tenders tied up alongside of each other. One was a big crab boat, and the other one was a uh, wooden power scow. And uh, anyways, I was going to grab the engineer uh, from the crab boat that was on the power scow, helping them out uh, with a couple mechanical issues. And I was crossing between the two boats and slipped and fell in between them. Fortunately, it was a flat, calm day, but the current was ripping pretty good. And uh, the water was about 40, 40 degrees. Fell in. Um, the pump was screaming out on deck uh, where they were pumping gillnet fish, gillnet herring. And uh, fortunately, there was a guy that was rotecking up there, but he didn't speak very good English. And all he saw was my feet go over. So he grabbed one of the deckhands and communicated in very broken Spanglish. Uh, Blake, Blake, and pointed over. So I ended up uh, swimming myself back over to a buoy off the side of this crab boat and, uh, and just pulled myself up and then hung on. And I was just getting ready to start pulling myself back up over the side of the rail when, uh, when a friend of mine named Wayne looked over. And he looks over and he's got this, you know, wet rat, a.k.a. myself, uh, hanging from this buoy and his eyes caught it. I mean, they were as big as the moon. And uh, he grabs me and just whips me out back on deck. And it was the weirdest thing because instead of just, like, being freezing cold and and, uh, and, and just terrified, I just couldn't stop laughing. I just couldn't stop laughing. It was, it was just weird, you know. It was this odd reaction. So uh, I ended up going inside and taking about a 20-minute shower. Kind of got warmed back up, put some, some fresh clothes on. Walked back up in the wheelhouse of this boat, <laughs> wore, wore a life jacket on land the rest of the season, <laughs> and uh, ended up sitting back down at the radios, and, and about 45 minutes later, somebody came up and they said, you haven't slept in a while, you need to go take a nap, and they said, yeah, you're probably right. So I took a little nap, and uh, three hours later, I woke up, and probably went another 30 hours after that. So uh, <laughs> are you one of those guys that when you're scared, you, you laugh? Uh, there are a lot of people like that. My mother was exactly like that. I start kind of hooting and hollering a little bit. I mean, you know, I put myself in a lot of scary situations on skis, especially. And he's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You know, I'll get real vocal. Uh, but I always giggle afterwards. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's kind of all you can do. But, uh, you know, as time goes on and, you know, I, I mature in all kinds of different ways. Um, you know, I, I've kind of stopped putting myself in a lot of those situations because I've realized how amazing life is and how valuable it is and uh, that you only get one shot and, and I'm going to make sure that I live every single bit of it. And, and you do. Yeah, and you do. <laughs> I've been known to have a pretty well, good time. I know, I know. <laughs> so um, let's talk about some of those good times. I mean, uh, Alaska bit you pretty, pretty young. Yeah. Uh, and you kept going. Yeah. And it, it keeps dragging you back. Yeah, it keeps dragging me back and we've had all kinds of fun times. I mean... You know, one of the cool things about my job is I get to travel, you know, throughout Alaska. So I've been to most of the coastal communities throughout Alaska. 
uh, where fishing's uh, fairly prevalent. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time in small aircraft flying throughout Alaska. Um, spent a lot of time in helicopters flying out through Alaska. So that's been cool because I've seen such a you know broad region of it. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I work a lot up there, but that doesn't mean that there isn't time for Play. for some fun. Uh-huh. And, some Pepsi's, uh, a couple Pepsi's, and uh, and and you know, just going out and exploring, just exploring this this beautiful vast land that we have around us, and so that's been really cool, and and I've made some some really good lifelong friends, um, you know, folks that I ski with, uh, you know, there's been you know a couple real memorable gals that are you know I've dated from Alaska, you know, Bristol Bay, and you know, I heard about a pool game once, a pool game, uh huh. Uh, you don't want to play that game, do you? No, no, we're not going to play that game. All right. All uh, right. I did have a friend one time <laughs> that did a bachelorette party up there. That was that was pretty fun. We were we were nineteen up in Bristol Bay, and uh, he was asked to do a bachelorette party. That was that was that was a wild time. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, you know, my journeys have taken me all throughout Alaska, and and uh, you know, I'm just so very fortunate for all the people and, and experiences. Well, and and I've you're had. and you're still. I mean, you're not young anymore, but you're not old. I, I consider myself young, just out of respect to to a lot of the people that I look up to. I mean, there's so many folks in this industry that have been just incredible mentors to me, and and that that I truly, truly look up to. I mean. People that are not only like excellent fishermen, but excellent business people, but just excellent people in general. You know, I mean, guys, I respect, you know, just being family men and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, it's cool. It's a, it's an awesome community and fleet that we have. And you're ten years in. Ten years in. So, what what would be your suggestion <clears throat> or advice for new guys that are, are trying to come into our fleet? And when I say, again, when I say our fleet, I'm talking about the entire Alaskan fleet. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, Mark, and, and I've thought about this a lot because, you know, I, I myself started out really not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. Ten years. Ten years, uh, which really isn't that long. Uh, I think the best way if, 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 a, if a guy or a gal wants to go fishing on one of these boats and that is their their goal or to get on boats one of the best ways to start i think is getting a job like on the on the beach gang or something like that because being on a beach gang you constantly interact with like fishing vessels and tender vessels constantly um so through that you make connections and i can't tell you how many folks that we've had working on our beach gang that i see you know driving away on the back deck of a gillnetter or a tender, you know, right. the next season, which is really cool. And, and so many of them have made this incredible life out of it. Um, you know, the other way is, uh, you know, going to work on a tender boat. You know, you, you learn line handling skills. You learn how to take a watch. You learn, you know, what it's like to cook, you know, meals in a, in a hurry. And, um, and just, you know, make yourself essentially useful on a boat. Um, and that's one of the number one things, you know, when you get started is, well, you've got to figure out a way to make yourself useful right useful off the bat because you don't know anything. Boat, useful, guy, useful guys on a tender boat end up on a crab boat or a pollock boat or, a, a, you know, a salmon. I mean, they, they end up getting another spot. Yeah. You know. No, absolutely. And uh, I think it's awesome. And that's strong advice. Yeah. I've got so, so many men and women that, <clears throat> you know, have, have worked with me over the years on some of our tenders that are, you know, have these great, wonderful, successful careers, fishing careers now. Or careers working on, 
you know, freighter boats. Uh, you know, they, they got sea time working on a tender and then went fishing and, and decided maybe that wasn't for them, but they're working on freighters or they hold licenses on processors now. Um, you know, they're doing sport fishing charters somewhere, sure. you know, with their licenses. So, no, it's really cool. I mean, uh, um, it opens up uh, an avenue to do so many things, you know, and, and people have uh, all kinds of various reasons to why they go to Alaska. Some are running and some are trying to find themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when I start a lot of uh, folks out that are younger than myself, you know, I just tell them, I said, hey, look, this is an experience that uh, <clears throat> whether you love it or you hate it, You'll you're never going to forget it. Yeah. Absolutely. You will and I think it. that's cool because I've had people do both. But I'd say, you know, the majority of people, they, they love it. And so many of them. You, you kind of get that bug. It's like my brother. He, I, I still. He, he I calls still, me all the time. He's like, I am so jealous, you know. And he's, he's just sitting at a desk and that's all he does. I, I still love going to Alaska. I just went up this year. I know. You know uh, yeah. And, and when I saw him when he got back, I, I hadn't talked to you in a, in a couple of months. You know, we'd both been busy doing our own respective things. I found out that you were up in uh, Falls Pass, and to see the smile on your face was, like, yeah, you were just reinvigorated. It was fucking great. <laughs> I mean, it's like a shot in the arm. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, it's a big old shot of vitamin B. That's Alaska, you know. That's yeah. A, that's Alaska. So. So, um, great, great recording here, Blake. Uh, excellent advice. Yeah. Do you have anything else you'd like to share before we wrap this up? Uh, I just want to encourage um, the younger generation, anybody that's listening that hasn't had the opportunity to go to Alaska, uh, to to figure out a way to, to take that opportunity. Uh, you know, fishing or working for a processor or working in, you know, marine diesel, you know, Whatever, whatever channel or route you decide to take, it's it's such an amazing career. You know, everything is so computer oriented these days, and and everybody just sits at a desk and do something outside the box, then that's just out of the ordinary, um, and, and get involved. I mean, just get involved. It, it's it's such a great path. Whether you're involved in a trade, working for a processor, fishing, tendering. Yeah, it's it's just a different way of life that is. Oh, the rowers are coming by. <laughs> we have, we have rowers coming by now, and they're uh, <laughs> sitting here on the gale. They're but, gonna be screaming out here, but no, uh, it's provided a, an excellent life for myself and, and so many other folks, uh, you know, here on the West Coast and, and, and throughout the world. So. Well, you're you're still a young man, just bought your own home. Yeah, I mean, so so fishing has treated you well. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it's provided a, a good honest life for me and uh you know it, it's tough you know everybody that and you does get this. those long vacations run to costa rica yeah <laughs> yeah going to europe in a few weeks so uh no it, it, it's done fine you know not getting rich but you know anybody that participates in this you know we don't do it for free we do love it but it's yeah it's yep. it's just a great great living and a great opportunity a great community so yeah <clears throat> all right all right, guys, uh, this has been another installment of Galley Stories with uh, Assistant Fleet Manager and Operations Manager for Bristol Bay, uh, Blakely Benson. Everybody calls him Blake, of course. Uh, you guys got any questions for Blake, uh, write into Mark at galleystories.net. I'm sure he'll be happy to answer them. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Oh, please follow us on Facebook. Uh, 
or uh, even on Twitter, which I think I'm now up to 13 or 14 on there. It's been getting pretty exciting. I don't think you're going to use a Twitter anymore. But anyway, all right, guys, uh, we'll, uh, we'll post this one, and we'll see you next time. Y'all take care and eat wild seafood. Yeah, yeah we got to end with that, don't we? We always have to end with that. <laughs> eat wild Alaska seafood. Yep. Yep. All right, guys, see you next time.